You guys want to? Oh, there. I was like, weren't they sitting over there earlier? All right, so if you guys haven't been here before uh, when we do our baby dedication, so I want to give you a little bit of background uh, behind that. So obviously we don't do uh, baptism, but we do do baby dedication, and this is why. So we, we as a church understand this, and as parents, you guys understand this also, is that children are a gift from God. And that we know that uh, when that gift comes, that we have a responsibility that goes with that. And so we have a responsibility as a church and people that are surrounding you guys, but also responsibility as parents. And so one of the things that scripture tells us is that when children are born, that we're supposed to raise them up in a way that gives Reese every opportunity possible to know Christ. Because in the beginning of her life, you know, it'll be your faith, right? And your faith that, that she will see. But as life goes on, will you let me hold you? Huh? You look pretty happy now. I think I'll take advantage of it. No. Just don't look at mom and dad. Is that okay? But knowing that as we raise them up at times, that it's going to be where you will pass on that faith and that you will give her that opportunity. But in every way that you guys live your life, that Reese will have an opportunity to see Jesus through the way that you speak to her, through the way that you treat her, through the things that you give her, um, and through the, the wisdom that you give her over time. And so for that, as we do this, so for both of you guys, Cora and Andy, the the question that we would ask you is, is that are you guys committed and will you raise Reese in a way to give her every opportunity to be able to uh, share faith with her and for her to be able to take faith on her own someday? If you guys will just answer, we will. So also as a church, so if you've, any of you have been around children before, we know that it takes more than just a family. Okay. Yeah. I, I know when to give up. So we know that it takes more than just Cora and Andy and their immediate family to be able to raise a child in a way to be able to allow her to experience faith. And as a church, we have a part of that, um, whether it's the immediate family or us as a big church or children's ministry that goes into it. So as a church, we would also ask you guys this, will you as a church be a part of helping Reese understand who Christ is and that someday that we will celebrate like we're going to next week, Baptism Sunday, where she will take faith on as her own. If you will answer, we will. Okay, so the other thing that we have for you guys, so we're going to take an opportunity to, to pray over you, but one of the gifts that we give um, you guys, and, and if you guys don't know this as a church, is we give you a baton, and on that baton it has uh, Reese's uh, dedication date, and in there we would ask you guys to write a letter to her, so write whatever you guys were thinking on this day about your dreams and your hopes for her and how you want to uh, be able to have her understand who Christ is. And then the day that she gives her life to Christ, that she'll pass the baton on and she'll open it up and she will be able to read what you guys were, were feeling um, on that day. So I'll pray over you guys and pray over Reese and then also we'll give you the baton. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Cora and Andy and Reese and this family, Lord, and we continue to pray that uh, you give them the wisdom in what it's going to take to uh, raise a child in a home and give Reese every opportunity possible to accept Jesus Christ as her own personal Savior someday. And Lord, we pray for Reese, Lord, that her mind will always be open to you and that she will seek you and, and come to know you someday as, as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that we as a church will surround this family with everything that they need to be able to 
to give them uh, all the resources possible and to be able to give Reese every chance possible to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, so as they're making their way down, so I'm going to do a couple announcements uh, for you. So one, being Baptism Sunday. So Baptism Sunday is coming up next week. And so I'm kind of surprised that I still have to tell people this, but don't skip out on Baptism Sunday just because you don't know who's getting baptized, right? So the whole idea of doing church or the whole idea of having faith is to celebrate with people who take on their own faith and to to celebrate salvation with them. And so if for some reason you're thinking like, I don't know anybody, so next week I won't come, please come, please celebrate. It's an awesome Sunday. If you've never been here, uh, it's an incredible time to hear people's stories and also celebrate in their faith. So that's Baptism Sunday next week. It'll be for both services and we'll be celebrating together. The other thing is, is that each month we give you guys the finances of Life Church, so you can just stay on top of uh, what we're doing. And so our monthly budget, our giving uh, to the general fund, what we've been over budget for the month, and then over budget for the year, and then new givers. So a couple things to highlight on that. So one, to the five new people who've decided to be a part of the vision that's happening and allow us to be able to continue to do ministry, thank you for being a part of that. The other piece that you'll see in all this is if you've been around uh, for the past uh, couple months or maybe even longer than that, we've been talking to you about our building project. So our building project, meaning that uh, we had... ACs and a roof held together with duct tape for quite a while. Um, and we want to keep this building open for the public. Well, it's a 60,000 square foot building. And so getting it repaired and keeping those things in place would be, um, you know, takes a lot to be able to get it done. So we took on that project this year on what we were going to need to be able to raise. And through people's gifts or through people, uh, the money given over the budget, we're almost there uh, without having to go out and get any outside money at all. And so I just want to say thank you uh, to everybody that's participated and thank you to all those who will participate in the future for buying into the vision here at Life Church, which is this building is not just about doing church. This building's to be open as a community center, and we want to keep it open and be able to offer it to uh, everybody inside of this community. So thanks for buying in. Thanks for allowing that, and thanks for your generosity. All right. So we're in a series called Amplified, and so let's talk a little bit about uh, why we're doing this series called Amplified. Here's what we know. So we know usually in the lives of people, whatever voice is the loudest is the one that you listen to. Like you might not want to listen to it, but whatever voice becomes the loudest in your life, you listen to it. And not only do you listen to it, it tends to influence your decisions, right? So we know that at times that can be good, right? So if the loudest voice is directing you in a good direction, then the loudest voice moving us in that direction is not a bad thing. But the problem is, what do you do with the voices that are so loud that you can't get them out? but they're guiding you or moving you in the wrong direction. Like they're amplified and they shouldn't be amplified. Or what do you do when those voices are amplified over the voice of God, right? Because that's when it becomes a problem, right? So for us as Christian people, one of the hardest things to do, but one of the most valuable things for us is hearing from God, right? So we know that the voice of God speaking on our life needs to be amplified because he designed us, he has a plan for us, and at the end of the day, he knows what we need, right? So 
amplifying his voice sometimes is difficult, but we know for each one of us, it's the voice that we should have over everyone else. So this series is about first taking ownership in this. You are the person that gets to decide which voices get into your life, right? So you're the one who gets to decide from an influential standpoint what you hear and what you don't hear. Now, I'll admit that it's way harder than it used to be. So I grew up in Monroe, and in Monroe, it was a very small school, went to Adam Central. There was, you know, only a, a few people there, and we didn't have social media. And so the whole idea of, like, hearing a bunch of different voices isn't near as prevalent as it is today, right? Like, you can hear a lot of voices from a lot of people all of the time in a lot of different areas. So I would say you're more challenged to be able to figure out what voices you're going to listen to and which ones you're going to be able to tune out. But my hope is, is that through this series, we'll learn to amplify the voice of God and then learn to, to put those other voices where they actually need to be. So this is what we're talking about this week. So the voice of comparison, right? So the voice of comparison when comparison tends to move into places or be a voice that we shouldn't have. Now, comparison, like I said earlier, a little bit ago, comparison is different today than it used to be. Like I said, I grew up in a class of 80 people. It was my graduating class in Monroe where there was not even a stoplight at the time. And so honestly, there wasn't a lot to compare to. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not a lot of most of the people in your class were like you because you grew up in a very small town, right? And most of the people that grew up in that small town were like you. And so if you kind of looked around, it wasn't weird, you know, and you didn't have a lot to compare to. And you didn't know what everybody else was doing in the world, right? You didn't know what everybody else was doing, where everybody else was going, what everybody else was wearing. You just knew what was around you. But it was still an issue, right? Comparison is still an issue. Today, you can get on your phone and you can figure out what a thousand other people are wearing, a thousand other people are doing, where a thousand other people went on vacation, and all of a sudden, this comparison starts to creep in, right? So it'll do two things. So I want to talk to, about two types of comparison, and I hope that you can relate with one of these two. One is you compare yourself to other people, right? And when you compare yourself to other people, you tend to find that you'll never be able to measure up. Like if, if, if you do this, and we're, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, and this is why, you're not somebody else. So no matter how much you try to compare yourself to somebody else or do what somebody else is doing, you will never be satisfied or never get what you need because you're not that person, right? And it will, over time, if you live in the comparison world, it will kill your soul, right? It'll kill your spirit, right, as you're chasing through something that you can never attain, Here's the other one, and maybe, you know, you fall into this, where you compare the people you love to other people, right? So I said this, Sherry and I dated since I was 15, so you would have thought that when we got married, she knew she was, what she was getting into, but I don't think she really did, right? So once we were married, one of the things that would come up is, I wish you were a little bit more like Anybody ever have that? Like, I wish, you know, this guy, like, he's so much more, like, he brings flowers. Like, did you see what he did? He brought flowers, and he bought a card, and he, you know, he was emotional, and I'm like, dude, I'm none of those things. <laughs> I mean, I love you in a different way. Like, there's, like, this is me. Like, I'm this, but there was this, like, oh, my gosh, I feel, I feel bad because she wants me to be something that I'll never be, but you try to do it, and here's what you'll find. So you might have seen this in your spouse. When you see your spouse start to be defeated, 
and you see his spirit or her spirit start to go down, you might look at it. It might be because you're wanting to be something that he's not instead of who he is. Right? Like our responsibility is to know people for who they are and the uniqueness of the way that they're designed instead of comparing them to other people. Just like raising kids. So if you've ever raised kids, I hope you've realized this. And if not, you'll probably realize it over time. They're all different and they're all unique. Right? So every kid is unique and every kid is different. And so the way that you discipline, the way that you encourage them, the way that you help them is all different. And that if you try to make them all be one, like if you pick that favorite kid and you say, I wish they were more like, you know what I'm saying? Like the one kid that never gets in trouble. And then the parents are like, can't you be more like them? You know, can't you be a little bit more like, like they never do. And all of a sudden you'll start to see one of two things. You'll kill their spirit or they'll rebel against you. Right? Because you're always comparing them to somebody else instead of finding their uniqueness or the way that God designed them and as he designed them and how you can be able to use them in those unique ways. So in that, then how does the, the idea of not understanding or not having comparison in your life affect people? So the first thing that it does, and you can write these things down, it's not going to be on the screen, but one of the things that it does is, is that if you start to compare yourself or compare uh, somebody else, it devalues your uniqueness. So one of the things that it does is it devalues this uniqueness in how you were designed. And we're going to continue to talk about this, and so I'm going to say it over and over again, so bear with me. But just so you know, you are the only you, and that's a good thing, right? You are the only one made the way that you were made to be, and God wanted it that way. And so when you try to be somebody else and take away the uniqueness of who you are, you're outside of God's design. And when you op operate outside of God's design, you're operating in a way that, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, you're going to end up burning out because that's not who you are. Right? And so understanding to not devalue your uniqueness, but be able to understand that my uniqueness and the way that I'm designed and the, play, the person that I am is how God designed me, and it's a good thing. I just need to learn more about me. Right? The other thing that it does is, is that it hurts us when we look at our calling. So it disrupts your calling, and this is why. I don't know how many times people have come to Life Church and they've asked me this question. What do you want me to do? And I'm like... I don't want you to do anything. I want you to do whatever God's calling you to do because here's what I know. The best ministries yet to happen in this world are not ministries designed by churches, but they're ministries that are inside of each one of you individually. Like God uniquely did something in you that you're going to do that nobody else in this room can do. So I'm not going to try to put it in a box and say, well, sign up for this because this is where we need you. Although we need volunteers, right, to be able to do things. But at the end of the day, when it comes to doing ministry, inside of you is something that God designed that's only for you. And only you are going to be able to accomplish it. And so somebody else telling you what you should do diverts you away from what your calling is. Right? Now, it's good to have advice, so don't get me wrong. You better have these people in your life that can say, hey, I see this in you, and I see this in you. But at the end of the day, you need, when it comes to your calling, you need to go to the one that gave it to you to begin with because nobody else knows. Right? So back to what we're talking about, the uniqueness and the things. like The best way that we can help our kids and the best way we can help our spouse is help them find their calling. Right? Not for them to be what we want them to be. 
right? The best thing that we can do is help them to understand they're uniquely designed and help them understand that God has this for you and we want to help you be able to get it done. So you don't want it to be able to uh, devalue your uniqueness and also disrupt your calling. Now, here's the other thing. I got, got to do a short wardrobe change for this and they won't let me take my shirt off on stage. So I guess I better do it back here. So hold on just one second. I was going to do like on stage, but they didn't think that was appropriate. So Okay, so the next thing that if you are into this whole idea of com- comparison, the other thing that it does is it diverts you away from or diverts your focus away from the things that God wants you to be able to do. So it's, it's funny that I uh, had this shirt on in the beginning and I forgot I was doing the baby dedication, you know, and I'm like, oh no. And then people are like, you cannot wear that shirt for the baby dedication. Like, I'm so sorry. That's, that's the problem with me. I'm just going to own it. Like, I'm, yeah, I should have thought about those things, but didn't. But here's the thing, divert your focus, right? So when uh, I was younger and wanted to start dating Sherry, so like this was me and this was her. Like she was in this different league than I was, but I really wanted to date her. And here was the funny thing. Part of this was like Sherry dressed a certain way and I dressed a certain way. So like just to give you an idea, she was a pretty fancy dresser and I got my stuff at the Blue Light Special at Kmart. You know, so does anybody know Blue Light Special? So, okay, if you don't know, in Kmart, there was this blue light that just went off, and you got to get all of this, like, good stuff cheap, right? So my jeans, my wardrobe came from Kmart. Well, then I looked at Sherry, and I'm like, I'm going to win her over. So I went to town, and I bought me a pair of guest jeans. So, you know, the thing that has a little arrow on the back. Are guest jeans still, they're still a thing, right? That little green thing on your butt, you know, and these things were expensive. And not only that, I took my pants and I went like this. (laughs) Do people do that anymore? Is that a thing? This was a thing. Like, this is what the people did. You know, you had your guest jeans, right? And then you did, I think it's called peg your pants, right? So, I did that, and here's why. My focus was not being me, because you know who me is? Let me just help you with that one. Because it for sure wasn't that. That was the outer me that wanted to win my wife. You know what the inner me was? This. (laughs) I'm like, here's me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I want to win you, so I'm not thinking this is winning Cherry. You know what I mean? Like, my pants tucked in and my cowboy boots on. Like, I don't think that's winning her, but I think the guest jeans, pegging my pants, going down that road, like I can win her. But it diverted my focus. Anybody following me? Right? Or my boots distracting you? Because I thought about wearing it the whole time that way, but I thought, better not. Might be, might distract people. But here was the idea. I spent a lot of time diverting my focus on being somebody that I wasn't to win something that I wanted, right? And I know for most of you, like, oh, I would never do that. Come on. Like, think about this. I know you're going to say this like other people's opinion doesn't matter, but a few do. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you can say like, I got this, you know, rough exterior and people's opinion don't matter to me. And like, I'm never going to feel any of those things, but there are a few people in your life that you'll peg your pants for. Right? And I'm not saying that it's right, wrong. I'm just telling you, it diverts your focus off of the uniqueness of who you are. And when you try to live like somebody else and not like God created you, believe me, you will come to a place of burnout. That's why I was saying one of the things that, that Sherry and I had to come to, the, to grips with is like, this is me. And the unique, you're right, I'm not this, but there are some good things with this, right? Back to the idea of like our kids, like this is hard, but that could be good someday. So how do we continue to foster all of those things? The last thing that I want you to think about is, is that it destabilizes your sense of accomplishment, okay? When you compare yourself to other people, it destabilizes your sense of accomplishment. So I'll just give you this example so I used to lift weights, been a long time since I did that. And so one of the things that everybody compared themselves by in high school was bench press. Like how much could you bench press? And so you would see these guys are like, what do you, what do you bench press? But he would be wearing a shirt to tell you, like you wouldn't even have to ask him. You know, like I got the bench press record of 400 pounds and I'm like, and I'm like, I want to bench 400 pounds. But you know what kind of guy he was? So like his arms were this short and his chest was this big. And when he benched, he went like this. So I'm like, sure, you can bench 400 pounds, dude. Have you seen this wingspan? This wingspan ain't benching 400 pounds. That's too far to go down with that much weight. Anybody tracking with me? Because you're different, right? Like this whole idea of like my accomplishment, if I just looked at myself in the way that God designed me, then if I bench this, I should be happy because that's who I am. Right? That's how God created me to be. That's the way my body is. That's when I shouldn't have to look around and compare because then my own accomplishment for the way that God designed me all of a sudden isn't like, well, but you'll never be that. Right? So it devalues what you do. And when we look around, instead of just being like, this is me, this is the way God designed me. And when you achieve something, you should be excited about it. Not like get excited about it and then read somebody else's stats. Somebody else had more points, somebody else scored more, somebody else has a better percentage, somebody else has better grades, somebody else is higher than me, somebody else has more money, somebody else achieved. You know what I mean? Like, instead of just saying, no, God created me, and because I'm operating inside of that, my accomplishments are what God wanted for me and not anybody else. So I'm going to celebrate in my accomplishments. Now, what I said earlier, I think is really important. That is that if you operate outside of the way that things God's called you to be, then, then you're going to end up getting burnt out. So I want to look at a scripture that will help us understand that a little bit more. So Matthew 11, 28 through 30. So in this, I want you to think about it in two ways. So I want you to think about it as those people who are still exploring Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So they're still trying to figure out whether Jesus is Lord. And then I want you to think about it from the standpoint of those people who have already given their life to Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus talks about this inside of Scripture, he's talking to both of us, right, in both of those situations. Here's what he says to me, says to each one of us. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. So let's talk about those people before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because I, I remember these days where I was weary and burdened. And you know why I was weary and I was burdened? Because this is what I know now. Every single person in this room and every single person in this world was created to be in a relationship with God and to worship him. Right? 
So we're all on that same page, right? Every single person, whether they have or have not given their life to Jesus Christ, was created to be in relationship with him and worship him. So when you're not, you're operating outside of your design. Does that make sense? So you're operating outside of how God designed you to be. And when you're operating outside of the way God designed you to be, here's what you find yourself doing. Chasing after things that never satisfy you. Anybody ever been there? You know what I mean? Like you keep chasing it and you think once you finally get it and then you get it and you're like, well, that didn't work. And then you're like, oh yeah, no, it's the next thing. And then you try to catch it. And then once you finally catch it, you're like, well, that didn't work either. And you're on this. And you know, when you do that long enough, believe me, you are wore out. Chase it long enough, you are wore out. And you're burdened with this idea. Why can't I find this thing that will give me peace? I've tried it all, I've tried it all, but I can't do it until this burden comes. And or for those people who have given their life to Jesus Christ, because it's the same thing. So those people who have given their life to Jesus Christ and have wanted to always be someone that they are not and they've been chasing somebody else's calling, it's the same thing. If you're chasing somebody else's calling and wanting to do what somebody else is doing and not what God wants you to do, you are gonna find yourself weary. Right? I hear people say this all the time in ministry. I got burnt out. I'm like, how did you get burnt out? Right? Because scripture tells us, we're going to see this in a little bit, that if we take on the yoke of Jesus, that there is rest, not burnout. So you know why we get burnt out? Because we try to chase something or go down the road or do ministry that was never meant to be our ministry. And the reason that you do it is because somebody told you that you're in this position and you should do it. And we give into it, right? Like we give into, like, I need to do this because this is what everybody else does. And you start running that race in ministry and you get to the end of it and you're like, what am I doing? There is no fruit. I'm running around like crazy and I'm not seeing God work. And you end up at this place where you get burnt out because this is what he tells us, right? And this is what I just uh, referenced to. He says, if, we, if you do that, right, if you come to me, all of you are weary and have reburdened. He will do this for you. He says, I will give you rest. And this is going to be important. I want to make sure you see this. Rest does not mean inactivity. Okay? So when he says rest, it doesn't mean your pace of life is a lot. Now all of a sudden your pace of life is going to be a little, so you're not going to run as much. It just means your work is going to be meaningful. And when your work is meaningful, you will have peace. Right? Like that's what he's talking about. In fact, that's what he says next when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's telling you is once you take on his yoke, you have work to do. It's just work that doesn't seem like work. Anybody done that before? Like you've ever went out and done something and you're like, I know this is work, but it doesn't feel like work. Like in the world, you know, you do it and you're like, this is not work. That's what he's saying about your calling. Your calling shouldn't be something that you get to the end of and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I'm so burnt out. Our calling, he says, we will find peace in. He says the yoke that he's going to give us, meaning the plan that he has for us, is going to be one that's going to be meaningful and it's going to give us peace and it's going to be able to give us rest. And the reason you're going to have rest is because you're finally at a place where you're not chasing something you can never catch. Because when you chase things that you can never catch, it doesn't matter what you do or how long you sit around, you can never get rest. Because it's not about inactivity because your mind's still doing something even though your physical body isn't. 
Right? Your mind's still like, this isn't right, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So he says to be able to do those things, find your place in that, and so we can have the peace that he has. Now, how do we fix the problem? That's where we're going to go next. So we know that comparison can do a lot of things. We just talked about that. We know it can burn us out. We know that it can devalue, you know, our uniqueness. We know that uh, it can divert our focus. We know all of those things. So now for you, if comparison is an issue, how do we fix it? So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews gives us a little bit of an outline. So in this outline, he helps us understand if comparison is something that's amplified in your life, if you read this scripture, it's going to help you, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, get back on track so that you can make sure that you don't find yourself in the comparison trap. So we're going to read it and break it down as we go. So here's what he says. Therefore, this is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, understand before this, in Hebrews 11, he's talking about these people that have passed on that are now like a great cloud of witnesses that are watching what's happening in the world, right? So he talks about this cloud of witnesses. And here's what he's saying. As you are out there running your race, right? Or as you're out there doing what God has called you to do, just so you know, there is a group in heaven looking down at you, cheering you on, right? Now, here's the important part about the cheering on. Not to win, but to stay in your lane. Does that make sense? So that cheering you on that you beat somebody else, they're cheering you on saying, God has a lane, God has a lane, stay in your lane, don't get out of the lane, because if you stay in your lane, guess what? You get first place in your lane. And if you're going to compete with somebody else, they're going to say, get back in your lane, because the great cloud of witnesses is saying this, everybody else is telling you, get out of your lane, or trip the person next to you, or go outside of your lane, because this isn't a place to be, and they're going to cheer you on to do that. And he says, the great cloud of witnesses is saying, we can see something that you can't. Here's what we can see. For each one of you individually, God laid out a path and a plan, and the great cloud of witnesses know this. Whether you walk, crawl, or run down this path, the world will be changed forever. Because not because you're running it fast, not because you finished before somebody else, but because you are running your race. And so the great cloud of witnesses, he says to each one of us, if you want to take comparison out of it, look in the right place. See the crowd of witness, because nobody else might be cheering for you in the lane that you're in today. I want you to hear that. Because there's people out here today that are walking down this road and they're not getting encouragement from anybody else around them. And we're sitting there like, am I in the right lane? Am I in the right lane? Am I in the right? Look at the great cloud of witnesses that if you're in the right lane, they're cheering you on to stay in your lane. Keep moving. God's going to be able to use you. So to get comparison away from it, he says, look into the great cloud of witnesses. Then the next thing that he says, and he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So not only should we see, we need to get rid of some things. Now, I think in, at times when we look at this, we look at like a sin that's going to destroy your walk. Like I think a lot of people look at that. Like if I, 
have this certain lifestyle sin and it could knock me off the path of my race. And so I need to make sure whatever that lifestyle sin is, I need to not do that. Here's what I would like you to consider. Part of the sin of what we need to get rid of is this sin of comparison or looking or wanting to be in somebody else's lane, right? Part of our problem today is is that the sin that entangles us that we need to get rid of is wanting what somebody else has instead of being okay with what God's given you, right? And whether you want to call that sin or not, I know the world doesn't really want to call that sin, but it really is. When you're not content with the way that God created you and, and the way that he made you and you're always wanting to be in another lane, you find yourself entangled in sin because you can never run your race because you're so busy looking at what somebody else has, right, that you can't focus on today. This is, this is the deal. Today, this is what God's given you. Take advantage of today. You're the way you are today. The people that are around you are the way they are today for a reason, and God wants to use you inside of that. So don't get tangled up in this idea of wanting to be in somebody else's lane. So throw off what entangles you. Then he goes on and says this, and let us run with perseverance, and this is so important in this, the race that's marked out for you, right? Not the race marked out for somebody else, but the race marked out for you. So here's what we know about Scripture. Scripture says, you know what's part of the beauty of the body of Christ is? Is that you all have different gifts. Like that's beauty. In my opinion, that's what makes the church beautiful instead of everybody being the same. Right? What makes the church beautiful and not only beautiful but useful is that we all have different gifts and that we be okay that like I might not be a mouthpiece, but I'm okay being a thumb. I'm okay being a foot. I'm okay being an arm. I'm okay with what I am, and I'm even okay if nobody knows what it is. Right? Like I, I want the gift where, you know, I want the gift of leadership. I don't want the gift of hospitality because nobody knows hospitality. Right? Like I'll have people over to my house and nobody ever knows that, that the influence that I had instead of I want to be up front where people see what I'm doing so that way they can make sure that I'm actually doing something instead of just saying, you know what? It doesn't ever have to be seen because you remember who we're looking at? Not what anybody else in here sees, but who are we looking to? The great cloud of witnesses. We're looking to Jesus as the one who's saying, I see you. You know why I see you? Because I made you. You know why I'm cheering you on? Because that right there that you are doing is the thing that's going to change the lives of people. So don't forget, there is a race marked out for each one of you individually, and you've been uniquely designed to be able to follow and carry out that race. So for each one of us, we we have to make sure that we don't um, push away, I guess, the the things that are going to keep us from running the race marked out for each one of us individually. That's what I always love. Like for me, one of the beauties of being a part of a local church is creating a local church that doesn't, that everybody doesn't have to be the same. Like that there's uniqueness. Part of what I love about life church is, is that there's uniqueness, right? There's people from all walks of life and that it's not just, you know, a group of people that everybody is the same and that everybody worships the same and talks the same and has the same church background and and says everything the same way. It's like there's a lot of uniqueness, young and old and coming from different, you know, economic situations and different, you know, faith situations. That's what's beautiful to me. Not like what I had some guy come to me one time. He came to Life Church for a while 
And he said, hey, I just need to meet with you. And when he met with him, he's like, I can't come to Life Church anymore. And I'm like, well, you know, so what's up? What, what do you need to talk about? He says, they're just not my people. <laughs> and I'm like, what the world is that supposed to mean? Right? Because here's what you need to understand about a local church. The local church is a vehicle to help you achieve your calling, not a country club for you to get along with all the people. Are we tracking, right? The local church is only here to equip you to do the ministry that God's called you to do, not to create an environment where everybody feels comfortable with everybody else because they're all the same type of people. If that's where we're going, God's sitting back there saying, well, this ain't never going to work. If you're going to pick a local church, don't pick it on whether your people are there. Pick it on whether or not you can be equipped in your calling. Because that's what we should do. Because we as Christian people should love diversity and not create things that push out diversity. Right? Like that's what he's trying to tell each one of us. And so part of the beauty of what he's saying inside of the scripture is that we having different gifts coming from different backgrounds is beautiful because it's your race. The next thing that he says is fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So the other thing to keep us from comparison is we need to fix our eyes on what's ahead of us. But here's part of the problem. What's ahead of you? Who are you following? You know what I mean? Like who are, because we know this, I gave this example in the first service and it went over like a lead balloon. So we'll see how it goes over here. So if you ride horses, anybody ride a horse? Okay, it'll go over like a lead balloon again. But here's the deal. When you ride a horse, they'll tell you this, is that if your horse is going all over the place and you want to go straight, you know what you need to do? Fix your eye on the fence post across there and the horse will go straight because you fixed your eyes on what's in front of you. Can every time you turn your head, the horse is going the way that you turn your head. Well, it's really the same way in life. Wherever you're turning your focus, so is your body going. Right? And so whoever you are following is also where your body is going and where your actions are. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus who should be but not always is in front of us. Because we all would say we're followers of Jesus Christ. If you are saved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means the only way you can follow somebody is there in front of you. And if they're not in front of you, then we have a real problem and we need to fix that. And here's what you need to think through. When you think about comparison, you know why it says fix your eyes on Jesus? Because the best version of you is going to be when we as Christian people become more like him, not like other people. Does that make sense? The best version of you is when you're more like him, not like other people. So if your eyes are fixed on, or if you're focused on, I want to be more like somebody else, and he's saying, that's not the best version of you. Like, you can come up with all of these ideas of what you want yourself to be, but what he's saying is, when you fix your eyes on me, you'll become the best version of you, because as a Christian, we're supposed to be more like him. And so he tells each one of us, make sure that you as Christian people, fix your eyes in a way that makes it so that we can be more like him. All right, so then he says, for the last one, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you want to make sure that comparison doesn't start creeping back in in your life, you're going to have to fight for it. Like you're not going to walk out of this message and be like, hey, we just had a message on comparison. And so now I'm not going to compare myself other to people. I'm not going to compare my spouse. I'm not going to compare my kids. You're going to have to fight for it, right? And the example came from Jesus because he said, at the end of the day, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to fight for it and you're going to have to endure it, okay? Because he says in this that Christ endured because of the joy set before him, right? The joy, what was the joy set before him? You, right? For the joy set before him, this is what he knew. The joy in what Christ did was he knew you before you knew you. He knew you were going to be out there and he wanted you to have the best availability possible to accept him and to be reconnected with the Father because here's what he knew. The incompleteness, right? Think about this. He knew this. Every single person is incomplete until they will reconnect with God. What's the only way to reconnect with God? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So because of the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He fought for you. For each one of you individually, he looked at you and said, I'm willing because my calling, this would be Jesus, Jesus' calling was to go to the cross. And you know he fought through, right? He sat in the garden of Gethsemane and he, and he says, like, I don't really want to do this, but at the end of the day, I see you and not me. Right, my calling and my joy is in front of me, so I'm going to endure it. So for each one of us, when we think about this idea of comparison, and if you want to live the way God's called you to live, then you got to think, you got to fight for it. Your uniqueness, you need to fight for. Because the world's going to want you to become the same. The world's going to want you to fit in. The world's going to want you to be like everybody else. God says you're unique, and you're going to have to fight for the uniqueness that comes only from him. And that's why I said, remember, you got a great cloud of witnesses because there's going to be sometimes the world's not cheering you on. And sometimes the ones around you that love you aren't going to be cheering you on. So I want to leave you with this as the worship team comes back up. There's a scripture in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And in this scripture, there's a parable, and inside of this parable, Jesus teaches what I think is a valuable lesson when it comes to the idea of uniqueness and calling, right? So I want you to listen to this. So if the whole time, maybe it's checked out and it's a little bit boring, listen to this scripture because this scripture is going to help you when it comes to this idea that there's a calling in my life and in that calling that God wants me to live it out in a unique way. A parable being a story that's made to teach us, he says this. It'll begin, it, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold and to, and to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also to the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then a man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, he said, I knew that you were hard, a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown, gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever is given more, they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, this is my hope. I hope when you read this, you have the same desire that I do. That when I am welcomed in, when my life is over, whenever that is, that when I'm welcomed into the kingdom of glory, that my Savior will stand in front of me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But you understand that he's the only one who can say that. And you know why? Because here's what we know. He laid out a path and he said, on this path, everybody is on this journey and everybody has something. Some have five, some have two, some have three, some have 10, but everybody is expected and graded the same way. So whether you have one or five, at the end, you're graded on your faithfulness for what you have been given. And so the question for each one of us is not whether or not we wish that we were the guy that had five and only have one, or we were the one that had two and wish we had three. The question is this, Will you be faithful with the one? Will you be faithful with the two? Because here's what each one of us need to understand. There are people today that are stuck right here in the starting block of their race. And you know why they're stuck? Because they're worried that they can't win the race. They have fear that if they start walking down this road that they're not going to be able to finish. They're not going to have enough resources. They're not going to be able to do it. And here's all that Jesus is trying to say. Listen, I've given you enough to finish the journey. I don't need you to run. I don't need you to crawl. I don't need you to walk. I just need you to keep moving. Just keep moving. There will be enough, and there will be enough, and there will be enough. And if you stay on this path, whether you run it in five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, when you get to the end of this journey, he will look at you and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you had 10 or five or 15, but because you stayed in your lane and you were faithful to keep moving instead of being stuck in the starting block for fear of what could be. You know why, uh, why other people are stuck in the starting block? It's because they want to run somebody else's race. They don't like this one. And so they wait until they can get what they want. And God's just saying, this is the race that I have for you. One of the most beautiful things that I had as an opportunity with Sherry at the end of her life is that I sat with her at night and as we talked towards the last days, one of the things that, that we talked about was this, is that I know 
when you stand in front of Jesus, like I can't say this to you, but I know that this is what you're going to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because if you didn't know my wife, this is what you know about my wife. This is that she ran her race. And there was some opposition to that because, you know, pastor's wives are supposed to do certain things. You know what I mean? They're supposed to operate in certain ways. And Sherry's like, this is what God has for me. I'm staying on this plan. And I remember the, the day that she took, the morning she took her last breath, I kissed her on the forehead and I said, you did it. You made it. You ran your race and you finished well. There can be nothing greater than that. Please stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we look at this, we know comparison is a difficult thing, right? We know that comparison at times um, takes us away from our calling or diverts our focus, does so many things. But Lord, today I'm praying for people who are stuck in the starting blocks. People who are stuck, you know, just fear has overcome them and they don't know. I, I pray that you give them the courage today to just start walking and know that if they stay in their lane, they will finish well. I pray for those who looking at other people's race, wanting to run what they have. And, and Lord, I pray that they will hear from you today with clarity to just run their race, that you can use them in amazing ways. And Lord, I pray most of all that for each one of us in this room, as we understand our own uniqueness, and as we put that uniqueness on display, here's what we know, that God is put on display, that you, Lord, are put on display so may we be okay with the uniqueness in the way that you've created us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
days I will love you, God. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me this. Just what to do And I will love you Lord my strength And I will love you Lord my shield And I will love you Lord my rock Forever all my days I will love you God
you know just what to do So think again what a great way to end the service with that idea that if we fix our eyes on him he will give us the wisdom to know what to do because I know in this whole idea of the uniqueness and calling it's sometimes confusing but he promises us if we look to him that he will give us what we need to do so thanks for being with us here this week thanks for joining us online we'll see you guys again next week